Well, we've certainly waited long enough, but here we go. This is the review for No Time To Die. Got a bit of a controversial lineup today because we have one person who loves it, one person who doesn't, and one person who is kind of in between. So it should make for an interesting debate today. One thing's for sure, No Time To Die has certainly divided some opinion here and there. Today is going to be full of spoilers, so turn off if you don't want any. Okay, gents, so where do we start? We're finally here after all this time. We are able to talk about a brand new James Bond soundtrack uh, and none other than this one that's just been released in the cinemas last week. Uh, let's let's have a little talk, first of all, an overview of the soundtrack because I think that we're all going to have different opinions on it. Yeah, so to begin with, Warren, what did you think of the soundtrack? Well, are we going with a positive, the, the, the sort of raving review first of all? Um, yeah, I mean, so I absolutely loved the soundtrack i have to say um i didn't expect i was going to i really thought this was going to be thomas newman part two in in the sort of the approach of it being very much atmospheric music not really much theme to sort of really grab grab onto probably not written in a very traditional way um and in some ways there are parts of it that are thomas newman part two but only little bits but in in general in general i think that the approach of uh hans zimmer has been very much one of i think he's tried to give people what he thinks that we want i'm not sure that it's always landed every single time 100 bang on the money but the the very fact that i feel that that has been his approach um from a you know from my point of view i think i want to get behind that idea and um you know because i feel like it, the fact that he's tried to give us something that that he thinks we want rather than what he wants to give us i think that that deserves my support anyway other people will disagree with that i know some people will say that you know want you shouldn't be getting just this same old bond music regurgitated perhaps but that's not how i feel about it um, and then sort of you have to then analyze it has he done a good job and whilst i don't think it's the best score ever for bond i wouldn't put it up there with really any of the david arnold ones and obviously certainly not the john barry ones i do think it's a million miles better than thomas newman ones personally and i think it was a, a very very good score and i really enjoyed it particularly on the first couple of listens talk a little bit about maybe the longevity it might have in my listening connection as we go but um as an overall sort of initial experience i'm really really happy with it and i've got lots of good things to say about it today Uh, jason i think you're going to probably slot somewhere between the good and the bad so what do you think yeah it's interesting because i know that you uh have on previous occasions, not had the greatest relationship with the Thomas Newman scores. I know that you you have been vocal about that in the past. And so I, I, it's interesting to hear you say that, that talk about this score as, as a comparison to that. Um, I think the score, I think it sounds really good. You know, I think there's a really nice uh, sonic, you know, capturing of the orchestra. There's a lot of punch in the orchestra and, and obviously... It does feature that sort of, you know, kind of percolating bass along with orchestra, along with the sort of driving percussive elements that lots of modern scores have now, but, you know, done as good as they can be done. It sounds really wonderful. Uh, One of the things that that strikes me about the score 
or the music, just speaking completely personally, completely critically about this, um, it's just my opinion, but I found that it's very interesting to me over the last few years, uh, since the sort of Daniel Craig era has started, that they have really gone to such amazing lengths and successful lengths, in, in my opinion, to uh, reinvent their approach to the series in so many ways, mm. you know, like in Daniel Craig's actually actual personification of the character and how they've, you know, reintroduced Q. They've actually made him someone who would be, you know, relevant as like a tech wizard nowadays. It would be a young guy like Q. Mm. Uh, the relationships between the characters have been great. The even even the way they approach the story has changed. Like they've just revisited so many things. And I find it quite strange that, conversely, the music seems to have gone backwards. The music is the one element that hasn't, like, been revised. And I find that quite strange, that as soon as Daniel Craig took over at the end of Casino Royale, it seemed completely sensible that you got this very traditional arrangement of the James Bond theme to end it, you know, with the bongos yeah. and the driving uh, surf guitar and the swinging cymbals and the brass and everything else. I think that's great. But then at the end of Quantum, you got it again, and you get it in Skyfall, and you get it in Spectre. And I find it it's interesting that like 40 years ago, you can have a track like... Um, like Submarine off of uh, For Your Eyes Only, where the the other composer completely puts their stamp on the sound. Yeah. And every time another composer has been around in the 70s or 80s, it feels like there's this stamp on being able to reimagine the James Bond theme and the, and, and the, the sort of the way the James Bond music features in the film. And I find it weird that Daniel Craig, they've reimagined so many things, and yet they seem to be stuck in this prison where it's like, you know, 2015 or 2021, and if he's driving in his car, it sounds kind of like the Goldfinger era version of the theme, and a lot of the music can't grow. And I found that was weird, you know, just even seeing the beginning of the gun barrel, which they've redesigned. And you couldn't really tell who the composer was by listening to the music on the gun barrel, to me. You know, it could have been David Arnold, could have been Thomas Newman, could be Hans Zimmer. You just, you don't know. And I found that's quite interesting. And it seems like this has gone an extra level now that they're actually giving you these. We can talk about spoilers, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So now that you've done a monumental thing in the film that basically hasn't been done in the series ever on an emotional level and on a spiritual level for the character, you've given us this monumentally unique moment in the series and we're scoring it with like old music from other films. It yeah. seems like the problem, like no one can seem to crack this problem lately of actually taking the music and turning it into something as reimagined as almost all the rest of the factors of the of the series. And I think the score, the, the entire score is is an example of this, that the problem still exists for some reason. You can even get, you know. Uh, Billie Eilish, and you, who's like young and clever and creative artist, and you can get someone like Hans Zimmer, who's basically the most successful film composer working today. And it seems like this problem still can't be cracked, which I find but, is interesting. But, but surely, though, the sound has been updated. The David Arnold era started with a very modern twist on the score with with tomorrow never dies with the elements obviously traditional yes. sort of you know wound mm -hmm. in but we did have we did have a lot of sort of techno sounds kind of coming in more so in the world's not enough and even more so in die another day and then, then we rolled it back a bit more for casino 
and Quantum, I think, really. But then, obviously, Thomas Newman tries to take it in a very different direction. And actually, 95% of the Bond population, fan population, really rejected it and rebelled against it. And I think that must have been felt by... Eon and the producers a little bit because this is definitely as you say more of a throwback to a bygone era with a lot of music thrown in from a bygone era and we probably talk well we'll talk more in detail about that later on Gergay over to you I, I, I think I know where this is going but I, first of all before you tell me what you think of it I was reading some posts the other day you are a Hans Zimmer fan in some of his scores aren't you um, I certainly don't have this aversion to him, as as most people do, like, oh, Hans Zimmer is ruining film music, oh, he's the Antichrist, or something like that. You know, he's, we have to accept he's basically doing what the old composers like Alfred Newman did. He's setting up a team who does, he's the visionary, he comes up with the ideas, and he lets, you know, for better or worse, his minions do all the, you know, Q by Q, you know, fixing everything. He's the vision guy. He's the big image guy. And, you know, you have to accept that. That's who he is. So, and there's a lot of Hans Zimmer scores I like. Not necessarily the ones that most people like. Um, you know, I like Sherlock Holmes. I don't really care for Gladiator. So I have my own. The, the ones I like are the ones where I see he's really like, like trying something crazy, mm. like something that shouldn't work, like the broken bar piano in Sherlock Holmes. That, that's my Hans Zimmer. But we have to remember this is a rescue job in a few weeks, basically. I, yeah, I think I think we really need to hammer that point home, actually, and, and do it from... Because, you know, this was a really rushed affair, wasn't it? Yeah, and, uh, you know, when Hans Zimmer does a movie like Inception or now Dune, he sometimes spends one or two years on it with, mm. with ideas. And, and, you know, here it's obvious he didn't have that kind of time. So there's a lot of fallback on some of his usual bag of tricks. And what I find absolutely unacceptable about this score, all the throwbacks. That for me is, I love, not, okay, not, I, I'm not going to say love for anything of this Thing, but I like a lot of um, his original stuff. By original, I mean the stuff that he usually does. Usually towards the end of the album, which is a bit more more like him, this kind of tension building action music. I, you know, that's exactly what I expected from him. The the big, massive, unwarranted quotation. That's not something I can get behind in any shape or form. That was that was a cop out moment. So. And also illogical, completely illogical. Absolutely, yeah. A lot of us that were saw it in the... Pre- I was lucky enough to be at the premiere, and I think a lot of the people that came out of there felt the same way. I mean, the analogy that I kept using, you know, when does a nod become a headbutt? You know, it's... <laughs> It, because it really felt like we were taking these themes and just being slapped around the face with them full on. I think it would have been much more subtle and much more... Um, enjoyable just to have a little hint just a couple of notes or a little uh, just a, a little bit of the hook not even the full phrase um, the equivalent being you know the line we have all the time in the world it would have been a better to have said you know I, I don't I'm not listen I'm no script writer but if it had been something along the lines of oh we have plenty of time we have all the time we need or something along those lines where it was like oh I see what they're referencing there but they don't actually slap you around the face with it um 
But with all of that said, the second time I saw it, because I knew it was coming, I was able to enjoy it an awful lot more and accept it an awful lot more. But, but I still come back to the fact that I would have preferred it to have been more subtle. Um, and actually, do you know what? You know, if you if you want to create a new fantastic moment, don't take an existing fantastic moment and lift it out of that out of an iconic scene and dump it into a new movie and think that's going to then give you a new iconic scene. You know, you've got to work a little bit harder to create a new iconic scene. If I may say so, I want to explain my version to this, and I think this is the reason why most people are against it. You know, I'm not a mind reader. But, uh, you know, when Casino Royale was made, they had this vision of the clear reboot. You know, Old Bond was bad. It was sexy. And, you know, they, they always play the same game um, when a new actor takes over. That Now we are going to do it. Right? Okay, I'm, I'm used to that. I'm used to that when GoldenEye came out. And then, you know, they it's a reboot. It's, it's new. He's earning his money. And, you know, okay. But then we keep Judy Dench. So, okay. I know, Judy Dench is a national treasure. Mm-hmm. Okay. But then you go for all this reboot and new continuity. And now you give us old songs from a... Co- you can't do that. Either do a clean reboot and just go with it. You can, After denying your past, you mm. cannot go... You didn't earn these cookies. Yeah. You cannot go in this direction. You cannot quote classic moments. And, you know, why that... You know, they pick on her majestic on Her Majesty's Secret Service because that's one movie that the average population doesn't really know, maybe, because it's not the Sean Connery ones or not the Roger Moore ones. And they pick a typical, you know, this is this is the very definition of fan service. But I... it's, it's just, uh, you, you can't do that if you, if you, you have built your whole brand on the reboot thing. You can. Yeah, I kind of felt coming out the film that, that, the film was trying to be, and I don't be wrong. I love the film, really happy with, it, but I felt it was two things pulling in the film. There was the 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 kind of more modern twist that they were trying to put in it, with the updated elements, with you know more uh, diverse cast and 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 appealing to a wider demographic of, of viewers. But I think that these kind of things, the fan service, you as you rightly pointed out, I think these were perhaps a, a slightly misguided way of trying to keep the traditional like hardcore Bond fans like probably all of us are here probably trying to keep us happy by putting that there and saying this is for you we know that you you know we know that we're trying to take you with us in this new direction and here's something for you but I think they underestimated how actually we don't need it to be that obvious you know you can be more subtle and, and we'd have actually probably enjoyed more the easter eggs being done in a more subtle way than than that and there are actually a few i don't know if they're deliberate but i think they probably are there are some really subtle other ones like there's a really subtle reference to the diamonds are forever uh, riff for me which we might get into in a bit um but yeah i would have liked to it to have been uh, a little bit more subtle than it than it was just one more thing you know for the plot it is also kind of the remake of one majesty's secret service because of the villains plan yeah and mm-hmm. i don't know if yeah. it, you know it's uh how deliberate that was. But, you know, now knowing the plot of the movie, you understand why releasing this movie in COVID times might have been a bit, you know, <laughs> uncomfortable timing. is like, ooh, deadly virus or something. Yeah. yeah. That's, maybe, maybe even now it, it hits a bit too close to home, but still, you know, they had to release it sometime. I think as a film, they might have also been uh, drawn to the idea of Automagity Secret Service because... 
it seemed like a very deliberate move to make James Bond a tragic character now. Yeah. There's sort of a tragic romantic end. And really, Honor Majesty's Secret Service seems to be the only other film where he actually reaches the level of that. that yeah. You know, I, I sort of see these characters as living in their own universes. You know, they try to do these things, and they've, it's never quite worked for me, like in The Spy Who Loved Me, when uh, Anya and Bond are at the bar, and she says something about him, you know, and his former wife that got killed, and he's like, oh, it's a bit too close to home. It's like, I don't really believe that happened to you. I don't mm. believe that Roger Moore went through meeting Tracy and having her get killed, if you know what I mean. It yeah. feels like it's its own universe. And even in Diamonds Are Forever, as soon as Sean Connery comes back, it seems like he very deliberately didn't play the tragedy of the character. It was like a straight revenge thing, almost as though maybe this film was following You Only Live Twice after Blofeld got away. You know what I mean? Like he, yeah. he seeks vengeance on Blofeld at the beginning. And then it's just like talking about the vintage of Brandy and hanging out with Tiffany Case. Like the tragic, he, he doesn't play up any tragic aspects of the character when he does it. It seems like that is peculiar to George Lazenby and a little bit to Timothy Dalton. So I, I can see why they wanted to sort of reference this film spiritually, you know what yeah. I mean? Because they've, they've, he's, he's decided it's time to find a way to do that again, to play up the tragic element of the character. And, uh, but they've, they've really, as you say, overtly done it. Yeah. To the point where one bit took me out of the film that I didn't understand. When they were on the Thames talking about going to visit Blofeld, and they played the theme to Honor Majesty's Secret Service underneath. I'm like, what, is that his theme? It, like, it's, I can't remember the last time I was watching a James Bond film where I was actually taken out of the film for a moment to go, yeah. this is odd, what's going on? It didn't on? make any you know? sense at all. The, the thing with that was it would have been far more appropriate, I think, to have had a really slowed down version of the 007 theme if they really wanted to shoehorn yeah. a, a theme in. I mean... Not the James Bond thing. I mean, that John Barry 007 one. Mm -hmm. Even then, I'm yeah. not really sure if I'd want it there. But if you're going to, if you're really going to put something in there, the 007 theme would have had a little bit more connection to that moment than the Majesty's theme. Yeah, I was confused. For me, uh, you know, they still miss the boat because the. I think the interesting part of a tragic moment is how you bounce back, how you survive, how you deal with the loss, which would have been interesting if Lazenby has stuck on. And mm. would have been interesting if Craig had stuck on. Not for me, but for the general population. But now they literally took the easy way out. So, you know, they can go back to the drawing board and start over again. So the most interesting part of the tragedy is not the big death scene, so to speak, but, you know, the coming back from it. And that's not something we're going to see. We're definitely not going to see him coming back from that, that's for sure. But Well, let's gonna, hope not, anyway. Let's steer it back round to the the score, as we're, we're scorey time and not filmy time, uh, scripty no, time. that's true. Um, what about the... Um, what about some more, more, over <laughs> more overarching thoughts on the score then? Because, I mean, one of the things I know that both of you have going to have picked up on, in fact, I know you have, Gergay, and, I, and I, I clocked it even before I'd seen your comments, was, and I wonder how many people listening did, there's very much a, a theme of time going through the soundtrack, which actually didn't really translate as well into the film when I watched it as it did when I listened to the soundtrack as, in the, as a listening experience separately. Um, because I heard the soundtrack before I saw the film and I was thinking, 
you know, this this is there is a lot of kind of count feel of me countdown of a clock, and uh, you know whether I thought going into it whether that was going to be um, he was working against the timeline of a of a bomb going off or something, or in fact as I kind of thought it might be that his time was running out, but it, it really does you really do feel that right threaded right through a lot of this soundtrack, don't you? That feeling of of a of a clock or a time uh, element. This is something you know he's he's mostly famously doing with the Christopher Nolan films because Christopher Nolan loves all the playing with time, sometimes in the plot, sometimes the structure of the film, and of course it's used very famously in Interstellar, where it's deliberately done in a way that it's not one second per hit, but it's a bit slower because it's counting down the days on Earth while they are on one of these other planets, or in Dunkirk when it's actually Christopher Nolan's watch. I think he got it from his father or grandfather or what the story was there so that it's actually Christopher Nolan's was literally counting the time until everything comes together in the final moments. So this is of course what makes the score for me feels very Nolan-esque in the sense that mm. yeah we have to have the clicking th- uh, the clicking time thing in it. We have to have a literal clock counting done and you know again it's sort of the running out of time thing but if you say that it's not it's not in the plot that much. Maybe it was just something. It also, you know, makes your blood racing, even if nothing's happened. He could be doing his shopping and you're like, oh my God, he's going to explode or something. So it's again a bit, yeah, it's cheap, but yeah, this is what I expected. And, you know, Hans delivered it. So, yeah. There's a lot of tick, 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 you know, that you really do feel um, that 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 sort of, in, in I would say a good third of the soundtrack, anything where it's kind of the more... Um, action stuff or or tension music that's really through it
Well, I'll tell you what. I wonder one thing before we go into sort of breaking down tracks. Bond theme. Because I want to talk about about the Bond theme. We got an... Uh, I mean, you know, for some Bond fans, they want Bond theme everywhere. I mean, if you want elements of Bond theme everywhere, then you got that in spades on this. There are... You sure did, yeah. It is literally everywhere and everything, even if it's just little punctuated notes of it, maybe two notes here and there, or the, or the, the riff gets used a lot. But actually, we never get a full-on version of the bond theme in its full glory and particularly the middle section the big tune you know you never ever get any moment where everyone goes you know like a real classic james bond moment do we we this post in the forums about this thunderbolt shadow flight thing um, that one of the key actions well but explain that uh, yeah explain that for anyone who doesn't didn't see it so so there is this part in some of the action cues if you have the cd i think the best part is the opening the doors the opening of opening the doors is is basically this kind of theme which goes it's in the triplet from, feel for a musician yeah, and it, it? it is it is from Shuttlefly yeah. which is of course from Thunderbolt and Barry used it uh, once in his career in, in uh, A View to a Kill in an unreleased queue And Bond is fighting with these big tools in Stacey's house and breaks the vase and stuff like that. And David Arnold used it a lot in, mm. I think, almost all. It's it's very heavily fe- little featured in Tomorrow Never Dies and very heavily featured in both Day Another Day and more, even more in Quantum of Solace. And Zimmer does the same thing. But that bit, I always felt that it is very strong related to the bebop uh, in the sense that it's almost the same. It's almost like just it's in a kind of different tempo like the, the notes are broken and different it's not yeah that's what it's that's what it's derived from for sure the the yeah so yeah i think that's kind of makes up for the missing people because it is very similar and i think if you ask you know if you were asking you know 100 bond fans i think 99 would say that that's a bond theme that's yeah that's very, yeah but it's not it's clearly not but yeah. it's close enough yeah, Jason. Any thoughts on the Bond theme? Did you did you get what you wanted out of it? The score really does deliver for people who want to be wrapped in this in the sound of the James Bond theme. It you know the 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 vamp I guess we call it nowadays. Uh, you know features throughout the score and and fragments of the statement of the James Bond kind of like especially the bebop section and stuff are all over the score, aren't they? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll pose a question. Um, I'll let you guys answer it and then I'll answer it afterwards. I'm going to pose two questions, in fact. Uh, yes or no answer. The first question is, did Hans Zimmer do anything that, Ave, that David Arnold couldn't have done? No, this is not a yes or no question, you know. That, but, <laughs> right. So I think, you know, if David Arnold was specifically told to do that, he would have been able. But, you know, they asked for Hans Zimmer and he brought his bag of tricks. So, you know, I don't think David Arnold would ever reference Batman Begins to begin with. No. Okay, that's yeah. I see how you're answering that, but yeah, but he's what I'm saying is there's nothing there that he's not capable of doing. There's nothing that Hans Zimmer did. I don't think that that David Arnold couldn't do it if he wanted to do it. it it's not music. Is the hype? That's yeah. What David Arnold done. Jason, what about you? 
I think the overall spirit is pretty common to, well, I, w- I would say a lot of the, uh, a lot of the action atmosphere has a spirit that's kind of common to the last three composers, David Arnold and Thomas Newman. Yeah. I know you have your opinions on Thomas Newman. Um, I do think like, especially the, the, uh, the Matera cue, you know, there, there are certain particularly Zimmer-esque touches to that. that yeah. David Arnold, I don't think would have specifically brought to it. I think there's, there are similarities between all the composers of, of the Daniel Craig era in this score, I think. It feels to me a hybrid, really, of the Arnold and Newman scores in some ways. But my second question was going to be, and my opinion, by the way, is um, I don't think there's anything there that Arnold couldn't have done if he if he was told this is what you've got to do. He's certainly capable of doing that and, and some. But my second question is, would Arnold, would David Arnold have done a better job if he'd have been asked to score this film? I will give you my answer first. I think David Arnold would have done a better job. I I think that I love Zimmer's score and I think it's great, but I think Arnold would have done a better job. I think that the 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 sort of the more slow tragic music is really good and Zimmer's written. It really is powerful and it is um, it plays into the emotional um, aspects of this film which is very highly intense. I think that David Arnold has got another level in him on that stuff. And then on the other side, the action music, whilst it was very atmospheric and very energetic and very tension-building music, and I really enjoyed it, I think that Arnold would have introduced more uh, melodic traits into there, like he has done previously, um, and more thematic material into there. That, that's how I feel. And I, I think overall, I think he would have done a better job. But I am saying that Zimmer did a good job. Once again, I bring up this was very little time. And this is something that maybe he, he would, he, I mean, you know, you can do anything, you know, you could do in the week if you want, but not as in the best possible quality. So maybe if he had the same time as then, Roma would have, you know, like a few months or something, maybe then. The action music, I agree that, uh, you know, when Hans Zimmer got to the, you know, some good bits that I like, it was over in half a minute. So like mm-hmm. David Allen yeah. action cue has a structure, like, uh, like you know, if he takes an idea like Pipeline, he goes with it for four minutes. Mm. And that's what I like. And here it's like half a minute of this, then half a minute of atmospheric stuff, mm. then half a minute of good stuff, then Dark Knight Rises, then so, so on. But it all the cues, all the big action cues, they are like, you know, if I would make a perfect album for myself, I just would cut out all the... I think the atmospheric stuff could have been over overcharged with a bit more, you know, like, you know, just, just more of the same as the previous cue, but, you know, middle subdued, but, you know, not so much cutting and pasting between uh, the action. It's, you know, it, it is Mickey Mouse thing in that sense that now is the tense moment, now is the action moment. Yeah. I think it could have been a bit more action moment, but subdued. Like I just, you know, while I was looking for this this shadow fight moment, I just really listened bike chase, which has many different things happening in it, yeah. but it always has the same. And you know, he plays with, within that limits. And Hasim, you know, now I'm doing this, now I'm doing a bit that. It's perfectly suitable, but musically, it's not that cohesive. Yeah, yeah, Jason. I actually think that a lot of the action music in this is 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 fine, is great. Um, like like on a Majesty's Secret Service is a great action theme, and then obviously we have all the time in the world, and some of the other cues are great emotional themes, and they work together. 
I mean, I, I, the, but the question being about Arnold, would he have written a better score? I mean, and, and this one as well. I mean, do you think that Arnold would have reused We Have All the Time in the World? Because I don't think he would have done. I think he would have written something new. I mean, maybe even if Hans Zimmer had more time, he wouldn't have done. It. I don't know. But what is the official? Uh, how long did this score have to get done? I don't actually know that. In terms of writing, do you have any idea, Gergay? Uh, there were the two events next to each other when, when Billie Eilish was announced and Hans Zimmer was announced. And they were I remember they were very close to each other. And I think Hans Zimmer was announced first, if I remember correctly. And But it was already in the new year that I remember. Well, they recorded and they recorded these sessions in February. I know yes, that because so I just spoke to the lead trumpet player today and he said they recorded in February. So he, he, he maybe only had four to six weeks to write this score. Max, something like that. So, and, you know, th- then, you know, the, the song itself is a bit of a thing that, uh, you know, the song is not by him. So he has to kind of incorporate it. And the, the other thing is, you know, whose idea was on Her Majesty's Secret mm. Was it Hans Zimmer's on doing? Was it something Daniel Craig asked for? Was it, you know, now I can believe that. Was it something the producers wanted? Like, we want this old song here. Or we want, you know, we want On Her Majesty's Secret Service for Blofeld. This is something I don't think was addressed in interviews. They must have signed off on it. Legally, they have to sign off on it because yeah. they use the actual... This is, this is something that costs money. This is... This has financial verification. This is financial ramification. Mm. I suppose if you are writing under a, a real tight time limit, then that is one way of solving it. Is just lift out a four or five minute track and pop it in here. It's it's you know it's a very quick quick way of filling up a, a, a big long film. And let's be honest, a long two hours, 50, 40 minutes of or whatever, it's 250, 50 minutes of a film. You know the soundtrack has got what probably only about half of the of that of music so we must be missing quite a lot of music off the release soundtrack do, we, do you think we'll get an expanded one at some point in the future gergay well knowing Hans Zimmer is usually very proud of the albums he produces so as long as i think as long as he has a say in it he would a do it himself like the kind of sketchbook that we have some of the like dune or or dark phoenix has this kind of sketchbook which is not the actual score so you know and in this case, I don't think there was time for a sketchbook. So, you know, this was all doing it in one sitting, basically. No, you know, no play time, like for mm. the big movies he does. Mm. And I, it is my impression he doesn't really like when his scores are expanded. He's not that supportive of even, you know, I, I worked on Rain Man, the, that kind of, and, and you know, he didn't want Rain Man released, like, at all. Wow. So take that into account. And and for some of his early scores, which are going are getting released nowadays, he doesn't want he actively you know it just it's not in his power to stop it. Yeah. Well, shall we get into some individual cues and then and and let's break these tracks down and just give any sort of thoughts that we've got. I've made a few notes. Uh, I'd be interested to see what you think. I mean, uh, no other better way really than to start with the Gun Barrel um, as it is first on the uh, soundtrack album, and it's obviously the first thing we hear in the film. My first thoughts when I heard this, because it was released, uh, was it what, 18 months ago? Was one of the things that they did release early doors. When the film, when the film almost came, almost came out, they released it. So. Yeah, and, and it's exactly like expect. It is. A lot of people were going nuts for it, and I was a bit like, eh, it's okay, it's nothing special. Um, you know, I, I thought that the ending where it goes into that sort of eerie, eerie sort of echoey soundscape which is kind of 
sort of classic Zimmer kind of, you know, all the bendy strings. And I, and I thought it was going to be the dominant vibe for this soundtrack. And I, I was, say, really pleasantly surprised that it, although we did get a lot of that in places, just little bits of it here and there dotted throughout, um, it didn't it didn't dominate the, the score as much as, um, as I thought it was going to. Um, but the actual gun barrel, I thought, was nothing that remarkable but they did introduce something which comes back a little bit later on uh, as well um with the bit when he comes comes back to mi6 which is this uh, i don't know if you picked up jason but probably the strongest weight on the two and the four that we've had in the series where you almost get all the low brass and the bass end going mm, bah, mm, bah, mm. But so the only problem with that is that it does make it a very stodgy version of it, whereas the earlier ones, particularly Roger Moore, you get a much lighter kind of feel to it, where it feels more, more, uh, more swagger and, and more, you know, it, kind of, it, it just has a little bit more flow to it. With this one, it, it feels, you know, a little bit more laboured because of that that kind of really firm, hard sounding two and four in, in the in the low end. I mean. I don't dislike it, but I, I just find it, you know, it's not my favourite version of it from, from the series. What did you think, Jace? When I heard the gun barrel, I thought, oh, I don't hear a big change from the one that preceded it. No, yeah. but I suppose it does set up his intention, though, doesn't it? Which is to absolutely plant not one foot, but both feet all in the past. I was still surprised, but obviously that must have been part of the intention to make everybody feel very comfortable. Well, you know, I just lined up so basically the spectrum, and the how do you the spectrum and the no time to come remember like exactly the same with this little quotation of you know my name hidden inside it before, and but you know Daniel Craig has his own version of the gun barrel theme, like nobody else does that because the traditional gun barrel goes bridge, womp, riff. <laughs> Spice it up for a bit. He did the Womp Womp Coda. And now the Daniel Krigera, only this era, has the Bridge Womp Coda. something that is you know consistent within within the, within the traditional gumbel scenes of his films the ones that are actually at the beginning of the films yeah do, do, overall though did you like the gun barrel Gerge? it's literally spectrous I, like except for the little shallow cone spot at the end it's the same it's like you know if i could just share my screen you can almost line them up exactly so yeah i don't see any you know originality in that it's especially that oh he also quotes you know my name you can't let that go can you
Well, that's, that's really. It's more the vamp, though, isn't it? It's, it, it's the exact same thing Arnold did when he was balancing the two in Casino Royale. When he was like, "I'm going to do the vamp." No, I did. You know my name. That's exactly the same thing. This is you know my name at the beginning. That 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 part is definitely that. It, it still is the vamp because I mean you know my name it, is the vamp. It is. But the I vamp, know, the but you know it's... my name version does only has three notes of the four note vamp. Where, but that does but that's come... what exactly happens here. Like, yeah, I'm, it... I'm immediately reminded of you. You know my name. Okay, I'm immediately reminded of that. I hear what you're I saying. You're saying. I hear what yeah. you're saying. It does and come. And they already did the inspector. All right. Well, let's let's move on to Matera, track two. Yeah, I think that was a mistake that they made this cue the early access one. Like it really derailed the conversation. It really is a spoiler, isn't it? I mean, crikey! Yeah, if you're going to release that early. Probably not I, the best one. Yeah, I mean, so we know we now know what it is played for, and it it still doesn't make sense to me. So you know, it, it's not tasty. So. Yeah, I mean, definitely starts. This one definitely starts with some vibes of you know my name actually for sure, and I I feel a little bit of your eyes only. But what I really feel um, definitely is he's channeling some David Arnold. Casino Royale uh, vibes, particularly the track I'm Yours. There's definitely some, you know, he's def whether or not he's deliberately, um, well, obviously you've got the We Have All the Time in the World references as well, but whether or not he's deli deliberately kind of making that sort of David Arnold soundscape of Casino Royale or not, uh, I don't know, but it, it definitely has that vibe there. But I think it's a, a beautiful track, some stunning sounds, but just again, the We Have All the Time in the World, did it need to be full in its, you know, full glory that it was with those string lines, or could it have just been a bit more of a hint? I but, don't know. But here's the thing. Here, so, so you know, when I was hearing only the album versions, I was like, okay, maybe he doesn't want to use Vesper themes or not. But, you know, he uses it other places. Yeah. So yeah. why not here? Like, then that's, okay, that's just great. You know, you are you are fishing for those points where you are, you know, are you crying? Do you, and you know, you know, there was this South Park episode with the member berries, you know, that, you know, that you have these little nostalgic graves and they go, do you remember Chewbacca? I remember. And it's like, you remember on Her Majesty's Secret Service? I remember. So it's like, you know, it's it just... Yeah, it's member. It's member that is all over again. Like, you know, are you crying yet? And you know, and you know what's the horrible thing? It works. People are like, oh, I'm, I'm crying over this. You know, I had this music since 1969. What's to cry about this? So I, I, I don't get it. I just... Not, not just to the direct... I never have any emotional connection to any movie. I'm like, 
crying because of music, especially if it's something I already know very well. So, oh, I'm the I am the complete opposite, Gergay. I cry like a baby, and I did even the second time I saw this film. I cried like a baby in it. Um, and I knew what was coming, and I knew everything. But in fact, I was worse the second time when I knew was it what was at stake. Um, Jason, what about you? Did what did you think of Matera? I mean, it sounds great philosophically. I could see where some people would probably think the opposite of what Gergay said. If you're looking for a good cry, you might find yourself crying and not even know why you're crying because it's so evocative of another era. But um, yeah, I thought it's so what it is, isn't it? Yeah. Did it take you out of the moment? It did the first time, 100%, 100%. But I, the second time then, with all of these things, because I knew it was coming, I was okay with it. And I actually was far more accepting of it and and didn't mind it as much. But I still now, reflecting on it with you guys, you know, I I do feel that it would have been much better to have a completely new piece of music there. Not only that stood on its own within this film, which has... Gerge keeps saying we can't, can't hop back to it. It has no relevance to one of Secret Service other than they are trying no. to um, shoplift an amazing moment from another film and insert it here to bolster that moment rather than that. And it is a, it's a listen, it's a great moment in the film anyway. This All this stuff here at the beginning is, is a brilliant moment in the film. It doesn't actually need you to try and take a, another moment and try and layer it up to be even better. You know, just write a bloody good piece of music to go with it and and if you want to just just give a little nod to the fans then make it a nod not as i said not a full-on headbutt just a just a little hint maybe one would have been enough or so good at that like inverting or you know in now again Sherlock Holmes 2 game of shadows he did the don giovanni the what he called the too few notes version referring to others and you know it's it's like a trailer version of of Achenartenko, but that's brilliant. That's mm. he's reinventing a well-known piece, even better known than. So he can do that, and here it's almost like the exact orchestration. Nothing is changed. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. So. Well, let's let's have a listen to the next track. Um, just one other thing we mentioned after Matero is that it's not on the soundtrack, but it is in the film. We get uh, a reintroduction of. Vespers theme at Vespers grave. Yeah, now, over the grave, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was such a brilliant moment. I'm so glad that they did that. And this is a different completely I don't want to be a hypocrite because I think that is an entirely different situation to bring in a music from Majesties because this is relevant to Daniel Craig's you know timeline and his journey and that is the theme we associate with Vespers. So it's a natural thing to see Vesper's grave and have that music come back. And when I saw that the first time, that hit me really powerfully and I really accepted it and I really loved it in a completely opposite feeling to what I had just a few seconds before it with the um, We Have All the Time in the World. I mean, Jason, you've obviously seen it in context. Did, did you have a similar kind of feeling to that? Yeah, I thought that made perfect sense. I thought that was a very subtle and sensitive thing to do because enough people would know her theme so when you saw her grave and you heard the theme uh and you would say that yeah vesper's theme is part of his world yeah and well let's have a right before we before i talk about it let me just refresh our memory with message from an old friend
that's that time feeling of time. Yeah, I don't. I think you've picked this up, Gergay, in your notes. But I, this is basically the theme, if you can, of Hans and Richard. Da, 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 it keeps coming back throughout the film. Is the tension theme, which is it's a melody it, it, of sorts. It, it, it's always. It, this is the one I, you know, it's it's like a two two faced theme from the the Dark Knight for me. Even though that was supposed to be by James Newton Howard, it has that similar structure. That, it, yeah, you, you sang it better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it feel it start the whole track starts very Zimmerish with his atmospheric kind of soundscape that I thought we were going to get a lot of in this film, and we don't get as much as I thought. But then we'd start getting a lot of this two-note riff, which is a fairly kind of easy thing, you know, da da, you know, rather than yeah, da 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 da, he just he uses a lot of da da's all over the place in this score. Um, so in a way, you you get a lot of James Bond theme little little uh, quotes, gestures, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, it's a good. It's also Jason from a composing point of view. It's quite a way of a good way of creating tension, isn't it? To have that kind of da 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 da. Absolutely, and I think it as a gesture, it does sort of suggest the top of the end of the James Bond melody, doesn't it? Yeah. Like if you weren't if you weren't trying to, you would still sort of associate it a bit with the James Bond theme, even though it's only two notes. It just seems to be two kind of strong notes going in that direction as they do. Yeah. Um. We get this first time, we mentioned a minute ago, but first time we get this kind of eight-note riff. Da, 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 dee, da, 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 which, to, to me, I, f- I feel like Zimmer Hans Zimmer has sat down with, quite obviously to me, with two scores, main, well, possibly three main scores. The first one being the um, uh, Casino Royale score, and the other two Barry scores I think he's really spent a lot of time with is clearly Majesties, but also Diamonds, because I feel that this kind of Ain't No Riff is almost a little bit of an idea that he's thought of developing from Dun 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 Ain't No Riff, and now you got Dun 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 I don't know, maybe it's derived from that. And there's some other things come later on the score that I feel is sort of harkens back to Diamonds. Um, but this Ain't No Riff definitely becomes the theme that recurs, that this is sort of almost Zimmer's theme. I mean, it, melody, to me, I'd, I'd like something a little bit more of a hook than just what is really a riff rather than the melody. Um but I mean, I think melodies have become more like riffs in in modern times, haven't they, Jason? Well, yeah, and action scoring doesn't necessarily lend itself in the modern era to a lot of melodic writing anymore, does it? Like you did get a lot of that in in you know the beginning of Casino Royale and things like that. But in general, in action as a genre, it doesn't really lend itself to people going very far with melody. It's just, it's easier, especially even if you're talking technically, a lot of action scenes are scored and then they're re-edited while yeah. the score is being written. Yeah. So things that aren't melodic, you're not going to lose the, the beginning of your phrase because they've taken like 10 frames out of a shot or something like that. It's much better to kind of focus on that sort of percussive, supportive 
way of writing music, I think. Now they did, you know, it's funny that they had to rush this this course so much and they would have like 16 months, 18 months of redoing things, but, you know, pictures lagged, literally, so. Yeah, so I don't really understand why they couldn't unlock it. It's not like it was, the, the key had been thrown away. I mean, they had all that time I, I think, sorry to interrupt, but I think it's very simple because that would have been spent more money on it. Well, and yeah. And at this moment, yeah. it was like, yeah, we are, we are losing, we are losing money with every month. This is not. Losing. Yeah. They were, you know. And now, even though they didn't touch it, it every month it was like millions of dollars added to it without being released. Yeah, of course, that's a, that is a, a, an obviously fair point, and I think the fan in me wants to think that you know it's a bottomless pit, and that, that you know ultimately the the art. Um, and the final product is, you know, the the most important thing. But ultimately, it's not. It's the bottom line of the of the budget. Uh, no, and and keep course. in mind, for Eon, this is their their only thing. So yeah, single wrong move can kill them. And you know, the last yeah. thing they did was the rhythm section, and that's not a you know that's not a hill you want to die on. That's like. This was a big risk that really didn't pay off in any shape or form. Yeah, very true. And you know, we mu- if if I mention the rhythm section, you know, we must mention it as the movie that got the whole Hans Zimmer gang on board. So, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. One other thing I would just mention in this in this track um, is it's, it's, for me and Gerge anyway. I think this is where we first hear this. Uh, feeling of a clock ticking um, and down towards something. I, I picked it up the first time I heard it, and I think it comes back a lot through these action cues. Uh, and so, uh, just a little few seconds of that here, and you can hear this feeling of a of time and, and a clock. Um, and I mean, Zimmer does tend to do these kind of thematic ideas of, of taking an idea and you know maybe a non musical reference Gerge and bringing it into the score because I am I right in thinking that like with Inception wasn't the uh, the idea of the uh, going down in the layers wasn't the music kind of brought down in in some way to reflect that as well specifically the you know the, again you know we have to address that in, of course you buy Hans Zimmer not necessarily for the music but for the stories he tells <laughs> not as if the, all the stories are true so he keeps on saying you know the whole of Inception score is just the edit playoffs it's not it's clearly not. But, you know, the P.O.F. song, which was actually, re- you know, the P.O.F. song, the funny thing about that uh, is that the original song uh, had this, you know, really tiny quality. Mm. And it was just remade for the P.O.F. movie, the, um, the one with Marion Cotillard. And, of course, they had a beautiful multi-layered session from that that already existed and it allowed for playing with, with stuff around. So you could slow it. And that was the general idea but again, uh, I, one of the things that Simmer does is just when he's go- doing interviews, he's explaining, you know, how easy it is. You just need the right idea and like one big idea. And, you know, it's almost like if you put any other thought in the movie, you are just a point dexter or something. So he likes to emphasize how how simple sometimes it is that, you know, you just do this and it's so, and, you know, he knows it's not easy. I know it's not easy, but the audience is like, oh, magic. <laughs> Okay, on that note, let's have a little listen to Square Escape.
Now, my thing with this sound, with this particular cue, this is where I really feel like he's channeling a little bit of Newman. Um, I felt more like Quantum of Solace. Like this, this part is, is even orchestrated the same as Quantum of Solace. Like this, the very low breath. It's the same as the the poor, uh, what's the where they the motor boches. The end of the motor boches has the same theme, same orchestration. Okay, because I because what I'm hearing is sort of maybe detonation or, or Westminster from Spectre. Is this is this kind of thing of more of, of a rhythmic tension here rather than the melodic tension and you know that that that's kind of the more modern way of is you know the way that they create tension. That, that's why it's funny to me when they say you know this this is all almost like Newman-esque. This is almost like saying John Barry sounds like David Arnold. So Newman sounds like Zimmer because he has never done an action score before, so he does Zimmer light. So when the real deal comes along, you're like, ah, that's humanesque. That's that's for me. It's, it's... Well, yeah, that's a yeah, that's a good point. I, I'm I'm look I'm looking at it rather the wrong way because I'm hearing uh, No Time to Die and comparing it to previous Bond scores. But yeah, I get you. I get your point. We we do get the uh, we do get the Chateau flight um, in this in this one. Yeah, you we were you kind of do, yeah. singing along with it when we played it, but we definitely get that that sort of uh, middle eight tag of the Bond theme. Um, you know, developed from Thunderball and then brought back in here, but of course in a lot lower Zimmer-esque low, very, he loves his low brass, doesn't he? His brooding low-end brass. He does love a bit of that. On a practical level, taking the swing elements of the, uh, the pre, the build-up to the, uh, to the motif or whatever we call that, the, the end of the bebop section, Taking that element and taking the swing out of it and making a triplet out of it, because that's essentially what's going on, right? Instead of something going da 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 da, da you're just going da 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 da. So it's like three against two the whole time. Well, that works really well if you're going to do percussive music that isn't swinging. If you're yeah. doing straight ahead music, then you want something that's going da 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 da. That's that's providing a lot of tension. So that's probably one of the reasons you hear it in quantum of solace and you hear it in this and you hear it in other uh films that are more modern because it works really well against against that and in fact uh if i'm not mistaken in the uh, house fight in a view to a kill uh that's also an orchestral cue that's based on his he's dangerous it, it's in the end of the he's dangerous piece of music which isn't swinging all right someone was here start all in this tracks about 40 seconds in shouldn't I
very Arnold-esque this track for me. more of the eight note riff coming back in there. Oh, it sounds exotic. <laughs> Bear on some of this here. <laughs> Beautiful day. <laughs> that you know my name idea there where it's the vamp goes into the major that's basically what you know my name does and I do like this bit I really like the guitar part Okay, track six then, and not what I expected. Uh, I mean, my notes on this track say nothing to report. I literally could not find anything to say about this track at all. So, I, don't, I, I don't like cute track titles that are from lines from the movies. Like, like in general, I don't like this concept because it's so, it, it reminds me of these bootleg records and people were making these bootlegs and, you know, they didn't know the real track titles, so they just gave the last line of dialogue that played there. And half of these track titles are lines of dialogue. Someone, you know, someone was here. Not what I expected. What have you done? <laughs> Good to have you back. Lovely to see you. It's, you know, these are not track titles. They're bootleg track titles. Yeah. I don't remember that. I don't remember not what I expected being yeah. a, a title, but um, all the it others It feels are. like a line of dialogue. It does, so yeah, like, yeah. You know, yeah, it absolutely well, does. Which is okay. I, I know. But, but the rest, shouldn't you get to know each other first? This is a line of dialogue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so so you miss uh, things like Bond smells a rat. At least, you know, at least put a little effort in because, as I said, this is this is typically what bootlegs did to have a line of dialogue from near the scene. It's just it has this very unofficial vibe to it. But the, I think the other reason that they name these the way they are is that they are trying really hard not to put any spoilers in the titles. I think because I mean, crikey! Uh, somebody told me the other day. I didn't. Uh, John Williams actually from James Bond Radio saying that I hadn't figured this, but apparently, Phantom Menace 
one of the track titles was called something like I uh, uh, not I uh, paraphrase, but Gwygon's death or something like that. And it was like Gwygon's noble end. Yeah, noble. Yeah, noble end. And it's like, well, so you knew going into the movie if you'd seen that, you were completely spoiled. So, that's of Vesper would agree. Yes. Well, there you go. What, what, was it? Was it the bitches dead, or I think the bitches dead was the backpack? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, but the yeah, maybe that's obviously why. Um, all right, what have you done? Nothing. <laughs> and this is the part of the album where it's like. Let's get to the action stuff. Yeah. Too much is all through. You do have to jump into these tracks because they do start. It's only like two, one and a half minutes. <laughs> what we do get in this track is. Um, a combination of James Bond theme riff and the Zimmer eight note riff. But I wanna just I wanna skip on to a thing that he starts to do I've noticed in this track going forward, Jason. I'm gonna point it out to you in a minute and I want you to give your thoughts on this in a minute. Here we go. Rises. 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 So th this is something that I noticed actually listening through in preparation again for this um, review. That it kind of harks back to one of the earlier parts when we were talking about this idea of the rising you know, tension created in the, in the older film scores. And it, and it, I think I kind of alluded to the fact that it was probably a little bit of a cheap, cheap trick in a way. I, maybe that's a, but it, I mean, it, it's just something I noticed he does a lot in this soundtrack. Once I heard this one in here, I started to notice it more going through the other cues and it's, it's literally take a theme What should I do now? I'll just do it again. Upper tone. Oh, what should I do now? I'll do it again. Up another zone. You know, it's it it's a very quick quick way to um, add tension. It's just to keep leveling up the key, but it's you're not really creating anything new as such. You know, well, Lone Bath did the new Mission Impossible theme, the one with the Harry Cavill in it. They did the same thing with the Lalo Schifrin theme, like like just just de -de -de, de -de -de, de -de -de. so just always adding up maybe half of full notes. That that's what they did with it, and for me that one worked. But it was a very short thing, and it was the whole thing was like thirty seconds. Here it's a bit bit more, and it kind of wears out a bit quicker. It, it, do you know this is my my fourth or fifth listen through the whole soundtrack? I think it was when I was doing this prep, and I. It's the first time I've really started to hear it, and now I've heard it. I don't know whether I'm going to be able to unhear it, and actually going forward, whether I'm going, it's going to sustain me through multiple listens, and whether it's going to start to actually wear away at me to the point where I'm just like, there's not enough new material there, there's not enough kind of real invention to sustain me over a long period of time like there is with the Barry and Arnold scores. 
Jason, you're very quiet. What do you what do you think about any of that? Well, I'm just kind of I'm just kind of drinking in what uh, what you say because uh, I had an interesting experience a while ago when I was watching um, Spider Man. I'm trying to think. I get that I get two and three. Mick, wait, is there three? No, there's one and two, right? Depends which year are you talking. So yeah. I'm talking about the new ones, not the Amazing Spider-Man. Okay, there's the only one. one and two from that. Yeah. Yeah. So there's Far From Home. I was talking about Far yeah. From Home, and uh, it actually features all sorts of things that we were talking about in the uh, Doctor No slash kind of King Kong score. It uses a lot of those kind of uh, older kind of monster movie kind of moves as as a composition does. So you know, and it consistently plays through and it works. It it you know it, it does everything really well and it's like an exciting score so um this is one of those things like if it's consistent uh and you think it works then that's great if it doesn't you know like it's some this isn't something that is necessarily a cheat it's something that people do but that's the thing that's what i wanted to get from you and i know i know you're the most positive guy ever and not not like but you know i want to press you on this as a composer is that as a com- compositional device pretty 101 kind of approach it's a pretty it's a pretty rudimentary easy fix and as gerge just said you know if you're working to a time constraint which clearly zimmer was is it just a is it just an easy answer to to a, an equation of trying to write a piece for a, a length of time it could be seen that way but on the other hand like someone could think this really works you know what I mean? Instead I, of doing I, the same. Say, like, I'm at the stage at the moment where I do <laughs> my personal yeah. opinion. But I'm just wondering when I'm hearing it now, I'm thinking, is that going to start to wear? Is the, mu- the musician in me and the one that, you know, that wants to hear something yeah. uh, multiple, multiple times? I'm like, is it going to start to? For a while, it? like you, people were hearing the opposite where something repeated over and over again in the key. And you just had more and more layers, usually of percussion. Well, John Barry that just did get that. Added on, on top and top and top. Yeah. So this is kind of a different approach of the same idea. You're taking a chunk of material and then extrapolating it. And you know, um, uh, basically, I don't think I can recall a score where I so clearly knew what was the favorite cue of the composer. Like, like he puts everything into one cue. And I think you know the one I'm thinking of. Gone. Cuba. Cuba Chase. Yeah. Yeah, it has it has soloists, it has exciting stuff in it. Except for the you know, I would have cut off the first fifty seconds because it's just the usual, you know, ambient Zimmer stuff. Yeah. Zimmer's you know, it you know, it's it, it you know, if you want that you have a full hour of the Dune sketchbook for it. You go for that. And but here it's almost like uh, it almost puts them to the to a, a, a screeching halt until it just you know, okay, now we have this is the only cue that's fun. Like there's fun in it, like and you know it's like it has little little solos, and I can imagine the monkeys driving the car, like in the Rajamoya. So that's what I get from this cue, and it's it's like it stands out so much from the rest. You know, it's not dreary. It's just, it's just I I I'm not used to having such a standout track compared to the rest because it's obvious. It even has different musicians in it. Well, yeah. you get Arturo Sandoval, of course, the world famous, you know, legendary trumpet player, who 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 literally 
phones in his performance because he because he records you know he's at the stage of his career now where he just records everything at home and you know you send your 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 track over to him he dubs in a solo and sends it back um so i mean that's not a criticism well it does a little bit it it doesn't it does a little bit but but i mean the thing about the cuba chase i mean we've jumped to try we'll come back to the other one in a minute but with cuba chase i find that it was the one that everybody was raving about uh, from the soundtrack before I heard it. I was like, oh, Cuba Chase, that's the standout track. And I heard it, I thought, that's my probably, I like it, but there's, it's not, a, you know, people saying, a couple people comparing it to Welcome to Cuba from Die Another Day, purely because it's got Cuba in the title and it's Cuba themed. It's not a patch on Welcome to Cuba for me. It's nowhere near as, as exciting and as, as good as, as that. But I think the main thing that with Welcome to Cuba that it suffers from is that there's not any idea that really sustains in it. Again, it's it's a lot of patchy bits as the action kind of stops and starts again in that scene. So it's fine because it works with the scene. But as a listening experience, I, I, I never really kind of gets into one idea and keeps going with that idea to, to a point where I can really get into it and really enjoy it. And, you know, when in doubt, James won't think. Well, yeah, you know, we get the two-note riff done to death in places. The da-da, you know. Com- da-da! And once again, how you know, this half-tone thing is done again. Like, da-da! Yeah. Da-da! Yeah. Da-da! Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and combined with sort of Newman's uh, sort of rhythmic drums, the da 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 all that, you get a little bit of yeah, that Zimmer, in there. Zimmer never did that before, Newman. Zimmer never did well, that Well, okay, it's a Zimmer thing, sure, but, it, you know, for us, we've, you know, in yeah. Bond world, we've, we've had it in the previous ones. I mean, it certainly adds a lot of tension, you know, again, it does. Um, I do love the little trumpet riff breaks in this cue. Really great. I, I do love that. Um, and we do get some more Thunderball, uh, you know. Um, uh, you, you're, the, you're the expert here, so how, what's your thoughts on the um, on the breast section? Like, is it is it inventive or is it just... Does it, you know, for me it sounds like, you know, this is um, like like prime time soloist stuff because it's so kind of vivid, but is it actually hard to do? Is it just something basically any breast player could do? Are we talking about the Archero bit or the other? Because there's, 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 there's kind of two bits. There's like the sectiony stuff, that where it's all yeah. in multiple parts. Oh. Well, that's all, that's all Mike Lovett and the guys in London and that, and that's great. The Archero stuff is really hard for me to comment as a professional because Archero Sandoval is a, is a trumpet legend back in the 70s you had Maynard Ferguson who became known worldwide for being able to play notes on the trumpet that that hadn't really been done or certainly not commercially like he did it uh, on a wider level and then Arturo came out of that era as well and there was you know I remember growing up that those are the two kind of high note specialists along with Derek Watkins in this country but as he's kind of gone on Arturo he's kind of gone into this phase where a lot of the stuff that I hear that him do now, they all end up same. his solos sound a little bit similar. Um, and they all end up with him going with the dominant of the tonic for the non-musicians. That's the sort of from, he ends up in the note of the key it's in, but on a really high note. And you get that at the end of um, of this Cuban track, you know, because it you know, up to that really, really high note. And if I'd have not heard it and someone had said, Archero's doing a solo, what do you think it's going to be like? I could have almost written it out. So 
it's kind of what I expected from him. Um, but I do, but uh, you know, it's fine. It works absolutely fine. Uh, I don't, it, you know, it's, it, it's not something I've heard and gone, wow, it's the most amazing trumpet playing I've ever heard. And it's nothing I've heard and gone, you know, God, we've got to do that and cue the music or anything like that. It's just, it's fine. I, I think the Cuban track as a whole is fine. It's not my favorite track on the album. There's some other tracks coming later that I love. And this one is just, yeah, it's, it's fine. I agree with Gurge that it is, uh, it is a bit lighter and bouncier than others, especially around it. But that really does support the film as well, because that sequence is a lot lighter and bouncier and more fun than anything on either side of it. You know, because the yes. opening of the film is, is a dark gun barrel, a dark and long gun barrel. And then after, you know, you, you go through a lot of darkness emotional and otherwise so that's the one bit that kind of harkens back to an earlier style of james bond movie even that's the one shot at it so it yeah. makes sense that the it is it is fun and bouncy and you get this character this this extra spy who comes in who's you know fun and then she's gone and the sequence is over and the she film should get a spin-off she should get a spin-off that Could goes happen. In another i think she was brilliant it might happen it might happen yeah all right well let's dial back because we've missed a track just briefly i want to touch on this because there's a bit of a a callback in this. Uh, shouldn't we get to know each other first? Another line of dialogue for you, Gergay. Yay. Uh, some really pretty moments in this. Some gentle guitar and strings. It's your good old exotic flute again. Beautiful. But we get some swagger James Bond theme um, in a second, but this is apps goes into absolutely nailed on um commode casino komodo dragon from skyfall i think So that was shouldn't get we get to know each other. Here's Komodo Dragon. One of the moments I do like from the Newman scores, actually. <laughs> but that's, you know, when they, you know, they're like, you have to put in the sky for them. Okay, I let my orchestrator do it, so. <laughs> yeah, did he not write that? Well, you know, because, um, so basically his orchestrator was credited for the song. He, you know, G.A.C. G Radford has a credit on the song. So, uh, you know, basically, I, I, as far as I know, the Newman origin didn't have anything, you know, it was done completely separately, but, you know, they saw the heat potential and they kind of hammered it, like they, like they put in Thunderbolt into Thunderbolt when it was written. It was originally not in the film. And it's a bit like the writings on the wall, where it's like, you know, you, you know, we have to just 
put it somewhere in. Compared to that, I like that, you know, No Time to Die at least tries to put the song in it in a bit more. Yeah, we do get lots of hints of the song in, in keys for sure. But it, it, it helps that the song has like this little, you know, opening phrase and it's very easy to put into literally anywhere, basically. So, you know, Skyfall didn't have that. Skyfall is a bit more on the epic operatic scale, so it's harder to put in. Okay, then, track 10. Back to MI6. I mean, he really can't resist a bendy string, can he? Nope. But we really get that weighty two and four Bond theme in a second. I don't think we've ever had a version of it that's got so much weight on the on the offbeats, have we, Jason? On the offbeats, yeah. It's yeah, I acknowledge your uh, observation of the offbeat and that, but in general, you know, like I still, it's cut from the same cloth, which is good or bad. It's neither good nor bad. You know, it's just, but it is. It doesn't. It doesn't try to reimagine it into something else. It doesn't strike you like an, uh, you're witnessing an older perhaps more more downbeat bond going back to mi6 it doesn't suggest anything other than you know the spirit of of the theme about the tempo and about the feel and that we've been getting over the last few films it's it's kind of the same thing isn't it so yeah well let's um bring up the elephant in the room so to speak good to have you back which is now I mean, what do we think? Do we feel this is more of a slowdown on a Magic Secret Service, or would you think this of it over and out? This over, is over and out. out. That's what I think it is. But you, but it's not quite over and out because you haven't got the da 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 ding da da. Yeah. See, it's an the amazing... little tingling. Mook. It doesn't have the mooks in the side. No. but you know, I think that was even a bit too much even for them. <laughs> yeah, Nothing's too much for Hans Zimmer in this one. Yeah, don't get it. Like. I mean. It's stunning to listen to because it's such a brilliant piece of music sitting here. We've got it on and I'm like, oh, this is just a complete level up from anything else we've listened to so far because you just cannot compete with this music and this writing, really. But appropriate for the film? Not, certainly not this scene, especially just, yeah. Not really anything more to add to that, really. This is where I want to represent, you know, whose idea was this? I mean, you know, I, I don't know if Hans Zimmer is like, has only, you know, an encyclopedic knowledge of Bond music to know over and out. Like, this this is, you know, either he heard the album or because it is at least, you know, we have all the time in the world as a standard arrangement, nothing about it. At least here it's not the main arrangement, the one that's on the compilation album. So yeah, yeah, you have yeah. to be deeper for it. So either he came to the same conclusion on his own or he just knows over and out. So, you know, at least if he did the, if he did the leg work, I would say go for it, even though I still think it's completely wrong to quote anything that's not from this continuity. Absolutely. All right. Lovely to see you again. I feel like we get 
the sort of really spooky clock in in this track again. Forget the first the first use of this is the, here's that clock. The heavier clock. Yeah. Well, we get the first use of the No Time to Die theme on the soundtrack incorporated into one of the cues. It's the first time we get that. And then here, the bit of writing's on the wall. Here. Sorry, it's not here. It's in a minute. Here's writings on the wall. I don't know that song. Who's the writing on the wall? I can't sing that high. I need Sam Smith to come in there. Um, uh, it's in, uh, yeah, it's a nice little cue. It, uh, you know, it's fine. Well, you know, at least the song is there, so that's that's what you know. If, if there's a, the first complaint people make is where's the song? Yeah, here it is. You get so, it a few and times. And you know, funnily enough, people on the phone still like, where's the song? You know, it's here. Yeah. And, you know, where's the board theme? It's everywhere. Yeah. So it's like, it's like, do you even listen to the music, or you just bought the LP? Don't answer the question. Home, uh, we get a very grandiose slowdown uh, of the, the rising line from No Time to Die. I, I, do you know what? I always knew when Jason and I did the review of the original song before you were involved in the podcast, Gergay. I always knew we were going to get this. I thought we'd get more of this line, actually, especially in the climatic kind of emotional moments yeah I thought we'd I thought we'd get more of that but um, it, it's nice to hear it it's nice to have that theme involved Norway Chase. Now I've got a few things to say about this. I really, really like this track. We're getting some of my favourite tracks of the album now. Me too. This is, you know, I usually start here. So. Yeah. I definitely feel that he's channeling some Diamonds Are Forever. I was going to say Diamonds and and some On A Magic Secret Service in this track. I mean, I can hear your other, I can hear your other Zimmer scores in here as well, but for me, why do you hear diamonds after? I'm gonna come. I'm gonna come to that. Come to that in a minute. Okay. Let me skip through and find it. So, yeah, that synthesizer is kind of the dun 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 dun. That's where I think he's got the idea from. Combined, combined with a little bit of. Uh, Gumbolt safe, and possibly even um, from, I, from from. I don't think he did this deep dive. Sorry, I don't think he would like go to expand its scores. And it's 
because he's done this before many times in other scores. So it's almost like I don't think he had to go that far to find this inspiration, especially for something as obscure as Gumball Save. Well, okay, just... but then but then another cue that I think he definitely would know yeah. that that I, I think it would. Yeah. You, you could kind of say from I think possibly from from diamonds um, 007 and counting potentially okay dun, 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 this maybe point of it's something from the early 90s he has this exact same and and even the orchestration is very similar this this tingling kind of thing yeah okay does, maybe I'm wrong but okay maybe it's diamonds but I just don't see Hansimer going you know I'm sure he at least listened to the original on the Secrets not as expanded or diamonds because that would require additional research you know maybe he did maybe he does lots of homeworks lots of preparation he definitely he listened does, to over, over and out I mean he's picked up over and out but but that's on the original soundtrack so true but then maybe that maybe that um, you know that kind of idea of the of the percolating uh, uh, synthesizer in the background comes from over and out. Oh, but that that is something that he did in now. This is his jam. Yeah, he did this, you know. But now this is Dark Knight. Right? I love this though. I love the rhythm of this. Great tension. You know Dark Knight Rises? Yeah. So it's the opening play and the, the choir. Yeah. Very uh, Return of the Jedi Emperor stuff, isn't it? And you know, we keep, you know, the choir is not not necessarily often used in Bond films. There's like no, maybe two others, like Moonraker and Die Diamonds. Another Day. Uh, Die Another Day as well. Uh, yes, Diamond, yes, then. Because in Diamond, it's only a source cue. Yeah. I love this cue though. It's probably one of my favorite cues on the album. And this is this is prime time Zimmer. This is why we, we we pay for the CD. This is what we want to hear. So that's why I said, you know, he has done this before. You know, it's very good cue, but he it's familiar territory. Cue is something like now I'm going to have fun. That's why that one stands out to me a bit more. But yeah, Novich is is 100 solid action thriller writer. Yeah, especially the Dark Knight Rises bits. I again, I think is one of the stronger cues for bonding to the visuals of the film. You know, I yeah. really, I Whatever think all the are. action stuff is very, it's very sensitively done. Sorry, Maybe Novichis is the most, uh, you know, consistent one, which has enough material for building up at least one minute of the same stuff. Like the, this, this is at least one minute. Yeah, yeah. I, I really like Norway Chase. I've got to say, it's probably one of my favorite tracks. Um, on the album, along with a couple of others from coming, as you said, this gearing up, not really much to add to on this one. It, it's very just lots of uh, play on the vamp, on the Bond vamp.
You know, with gearing up, it sounds like they are playing the vamp on top of the vamp. Yeah. Like, you know, you want more vamp? You know, you got any more of that? You know, or, you know, there's this meme like, yo, dog, I heard you like the vamp, so here's more vamp. So it's like, we put the vamp on the vamp. Yeah. That's, that's a bit too much vamp for me. It's very true, very true. Is, is it over vamp for you, Gregor? Yeah. No, it's like, you know, it's, they have the vamp slowly and they just let the guitarist play the vamp quicker on top of the yeah, vamp. You know, yeah. that's, you know, that is too much vamp for me, indeed. Oh. Why, did you say, why didn't I think of it? Like, it's so simple. I mean, you, you really, you could sum up all the action cues on this album by calling it vamp and riffs. No melody, just vamp and riffs and percussion. You know, that one all, could be called Vamp on Vamp. Type. Vamp on Vamp, or, yeah. yeah, yeah, or Vamp on Vamp action, you know, something like that. We should we should write in and get that name changed. All right, now Poison Garden. Now I do this. The next two tracks I really do like, particularly sort of the bendy string coming from here. It, this feels a bit almost Indiana Jones coming up for me. Around this point here. This feels very John Williams to me here. Then we go real full on Emperor Return of the Jedi here. But Gerge, you didn't half make me laugh. Tell just what was it you said about that bit we just had then, the THX? Well, this is like, uh, you know, because it sounds like a THX logo coming like. Yeah, and I, you, the, the, comment, the, the commentary you put on Facebook in your breakdown of the album, you said something along the lines of. Expect to spill your drink here in the cinema. Or something. <laughs> Brilliant. Feature, featuring the THX logo is. Yeah. Yes, it's true though. Um, I mean, and you know, track, track title was this is maybe the only one that is kind of a spoiler to Bond fans because the Poison Garden is, you know, from the novel version of You Only Twice. So, you know, this is this is right up there with the bitches that so. Yeah, absolutely. But the, the, I mean, there's another point here where, for me, this goes very diamonds-esque for, for me. I mean, you may disagree, you know, say this is typical Zimmer, but I found this this bit here, you know, like a very much like a child's jukebox, scary music effect. But but the fact that it's very repetitive, I find quite with this bit, I find quite Barry-esque. Like I was saying, like before, the Gumbolt safe type ostinato, you know, an ostinato is where you get a line repeated over and over again. For me, it's more of the clock, like like the clock kind yeah. of thing, that the ding, 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 ding. Yeah. 
I think it's too generic to relate it to like one lesser known Bond film or Bond score. Because this is this thing, this thing is so common in film music. So unless it's playing the exact notes, I wouldn't say it's maybe the point. Or not like a deliberate. Like, no, it's slightly, know, I, it's slightly, yeah. Hang on, J hang on, Jason, let me turn it down a little bit. Go on, Jason. And this... J hang on, J Jason, this, you go. There's kind of just like a, it's almost like a little bit of an insane lullaby going on, isn't it? Like the way it goes yeah. back and forth, and it's and it's sort of like a music box. It's sort of childlike. It's it's repetitive in a gentle way, but is also a sinister way yes. in its gentleness and that kind of thing. And and yeah, that's a that's a vibe. That's I, I think it. you know, knowing what they're capable of, if they want diamonds are forever, they would be like giving you the exact thing. Well, it, yeah, they don't really seem to do subtle very well in this. It's full on all, yeah. But uh, no, 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 that's just the vibe that I that I got from it. Uh, I, that again, one of my absolute favorite tracks. I think that and um, Norway Chase for sure. The Factory. Then now I want to definitely pick something up with you and guys in this. I really like this little section coming up here. Sort of a bit more intense with the timing timer. pause it for a second because i want to take a moment to serve this up to you boys right you're gonna you're gonna absolutely pick a pop pick this apart now i know but this is my theory now there's been a lot of rumors or there was a lot of rumors about dr no or safin being dr no and i was i i was not i wasn't really buying into any of that it was just you know people chatting about it on the internet you know and drawing a few conclusions from trailers and the fact that the lair the, the little skylight thing above um Safin's head looked like the the one from dr no the way he looked and stuff you know the clothes he's wearing but i wasn't i didn't never any thought any um point did i think oh they might do this but then i went into the film and the first thing they did with the gun barrel sorry the the uh titles was that we got the dr no colored dots from the uh, opening title credits and i was like okay they are that yeah i thought maybe they are gonna do it so then i started looking for things in the film and actually you start to realize that there are actually a number of things and i think in the future it's going to come out that they either were toying with the idea or, or it was in an earlier script that he was going to be dr no um, or they were just really were toying with us as the fans because there are a number of things for me um, that that line it up to look like they were the hinting at us. Now I'm going to come to the music bit in a second, but the other things I noticed were, um, I mean, I've I've not read all the books, but apparently Doctor No in the book in the book had his heart on the other side of his chest, and that's possibly why when Safin is shot in the heart in the film. He doesn't die and he wakes and 
he's still breathing. The other one I noticed was um, in the scene where Safin is carrying Matilda, Bond's daughter, and she and she basically he says, "Oh, you don't want my protection? You can go." One of the henchmen in the corridor there refers to him as Doctor. And there's no other reference to him being a doctor at any other point in the film, and it's not mentioned at all. So that could have been an a old script, possibly, that, that carried through. There are other things. I'm going to finish the first to get and come back. There are other things in there. The fact that the island was located in disputed Chinese and Russian waters. Was that something that, you know, with Dr. No's connections and past, possibly... Um, there were some other things as well, but the one thing that really struck me was this. If you listen to the island speaks from Dr. No, okay, I'm gonna, just going to serve it up. Now, when I heard that in the cinema, I got quite excited because I thought that was Zimmer giving us a little bit of that Doctor No riff that we get quite often. That's sort of his light motif in the film. Um, it, and, I, and as I sat there, I thought, oh, this, that's really similar if it's not the same. You can't listen to it again. It's not quite the same. But if you listen to that descending line... You know, and bear in mind that it comes back in uh, Safin's death scene as well. Um, it's used then. And I, as we were kind of going through it, I thought, oh, this could be a, like the reveal moment here. And they've been toying with us all along. I didn't think it was going to happen. Uh, and with hindsight, you know, I'm, I'm probably looking into it more than it was. But I, I did sort of think there were some similarities there. I don't hear it like at all. Do you not hear it at all? It's the same key. Do you hear it, Jason? It's same key that's not you know is it the same is it the same everything not quite it's not screaming at me i'll be honest and he could resist the raw sexual tension of audio bongo but he <laughs> used this <laughs> uh, you know I, i'm going to say the same thing you know if they wanted us to make it dr no they would have dr julius how could you and then <laughs> And you know, just maybe use a tarantula music or something. So, so I think if they want to make a point, they would, they would go for it in real hard, definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't really think, uh, in all honesty, that they, that Zimmer was trying to do something really that clever. But I just thought it was it, it just there were so many little things throughout the film, and this was one I was like. I had to actually get them side by side. They're not quite the same notes, but I... I it's not screaming at me, no. Well, it's not the same note. It's the same key. You know, there are not that it, many keys. But I agree. It's I, not so. far away from being the same notes. 
It's not a million mm-hmm. miles away. It's not the same scale, but it's not far away. But uh, Jason, you're not hearing it, so I, I'm. It's not. I, they could have put it. They could have put it underneath the mango trees. <laughs> like he could have I, seen something with like, you know, you know, make it a bit more obvious, house. Well. I'm going to go and cry in the corner anyway. Now, okay. uh, in the meantime, no, you know, let's uh, let's did, play the next uh, track. Jason will defend you. Jason will defend you. No, what did what did uh, what did uh, Blofeld say in a different movie? Something about uh, you know, pure Flash is a genius, confound conventional minds, or something, right? So that's you've just come up with something. Zorin I'll take that. that. I'll, I'll from... take. I'll take that, Jason. I'll, I'll take that all day long yeah. and twice on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. And in the meantime, yeah. let let's uh, skip on to. I'll be right back, which I will well, might not be after uh, having that theory mm-hmm. pissed on. <laughs> ah, more Billy Eilish. Skyfall. I feel a little bit in the beginning. So is another way to die the only song they don't reference? Well, how do you reference it, really? Diddy, brother, that's how. <laughs> brother. This is one of those cues that doesn't really work as a listening experience. It needs to be heard in context of the film because it's like really pretty music to like, ah, 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 you know. It jars within the queue listening to it on the soundtrack. But you know, this is I, I like the Batman stuff in this. Maybe we can. This is where we can talk a bit about that. Maybe. Go on, because you go for it. Batman. Has, because because the you know the factory has this motive, and I'll be right back has this motive. Uh, you know, you can download that video I uploaded, so you can show the comparison that this is uh, something that similar. It's a very typical Zimmer theme. He th- the two most famous examples are Black Rain and uh, Batman Begins. So, you know, maybe he's doing it only for the B-movies. Black Rain, Batman, and Bond. And every 15 years, it just comes back and haunts us, this, this specific theme in this film. And, yeah. You know, just you can just, you know, the best thing is to play it right next to each other and show mm. the people what it it's develops into. Okay. And I like, the, I, I like I'll Be Right Back because this is the for me, this is the best original material here, and it's better in I'll Be Right Back than in the factory, and, and especially the end when it goes like full on crazy. Okay, so that's a bit of I'll Be Right Back, and here's a little bit of Batman Begins. Certainly for me, then, if it's not Diamonds, that idea of the background. 
Moog. I mean, I, I, I you know, you mentioned, you, you said this diamond because you compare it to previous Bond music, but the similar does the same in lots of scores. So, so for me, it's more like it, it's his thing. Okay. And it's not not even even it's not that unique to him or Barry. It's but we do get different. we do get no time to die here. But that There's you do. Nothing. This is a something John Barry did, where he's got that ostinato in the background. Oh, the one thing we forgot to mention is that the on her, the the from Russia with love thing is is all over the place here as well. The drrr, 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 it's all over the place. I just yeah. forgot to mention that. Uh, maybe not not in this queue, but it, it's a lot of them. Yeah. More of that ascending line, which I thought we'd get more of. You can't have it all. But that's the that's well, I don't I didn't miss it actually because it's just four notes again. But it's that no time to die theme at least coming in. All right then. Opening the doors. Yeah, more shuttle flights. Yeah, more shuttle flight. Yeah. Is there like a? Connecting between them like the same thing happens or just generic action thing? Generic action. I do love this bit. And possibly Goldfinger. A few people mentioned it might be Goldfinger on forums. Not too sure though. Um, final Ascent then. Final track. I mean, the cynic in me, I'd like this track. But the cynic in me says... It's all based around that eight-note riff, which we've been coming all the way through in using it in whatever guise, you know, that the Zimmer feels uh, necessary within this film. It doesn't really get attached to one particular thing. It's not just chase music or just villain music or just tension music. It's just used for whatever purpose it is needed for. But we basically get seven minutes of just this rising idea. Now... I think it does work within the film and I do feel emotionally connected to it and I, and I and it does what it's intended to do which is to arouse the emotion of the watcher and it and you know I think it reduces a lot of bond fans to to tears. But I do kind of wonder how I'm going to feel about it listening to it in 5 years time whether it's going to sustain me for a long period of time the way that all the Barry cues and even things like Vespers theme stuff I can listen to that a million times never be bored of it and it can still punch me in the gut the the way it did the first time whereas this i don't know 
No, it's okay. Uh, I think it just feels like uh, I think it, it does what it needs to do. But the moment after this gets wrapped back up with we have all the time in the world, doesn't it? So it's not the fi- it doesn't get to be the final statement of what it's supposed to do. I mean, when we saw the title before the film, I think everybody thought, uh, okay, that's only going one way. I mean, I unfortunately some I want to use an expletive in no way, but some absolute sod spoilt the ending for me 18 no. months ago. yeah i knew 18 months ago really? that i knew bond was going to die and i knew that he had a baby a, a daughter i knew that 18 flipping months ago um it was it was all over the internet but some idiot put it out and i i could so that you know it didn't ruin the film i made my piece of it because i had long enough to, to kind of get over it but i knew what that was going to happen and as soon as you saw the title track to this you thought well <laughs> we know what what that's going to be for I kind of thought going into it. I was so happy. You were happy? Oh, go ahead. I was so happy that I I gave myself a massive moratorium on the internet and everything else, so I didn't know what was going to happen. But I went through great lengths to avoid anything that would tell me what could have happened in the film because I wanted to have the experience of just seeing it completely, you know, unbiased. I'm interested to know, how did you kind of, as a Bond fan... How did it kind of hit you? Because I, because you had, did you have, did you, had you, did you go in there thinking he probably was going to die? No. You mean, you mean at the beginning of the film? Yeah. No, no, not at all. No idea. No, I honestly was, I had no idea. And I thought it was just so, I, I just think it's monumental. Like the idea that 26 or 27 or however many films you count in one of the things that you think you can count on in a James Bond film, mm-hmm. if it's 119 minutes, then at around 105 minutes, you think, well, at this point, it's just wrapping up. It's just a sense of how, what style, how much style and panache are they going to use to wrap it up? But we know he's going to kick some ass and it's going to end as fine. For all these films later to take the one thing that everybody thinks is an absolute given that you can't possibly get around even if you wanted to and then do that. I thought it was amazing. So you didn't, did you hear this piece of music before the film came yes. and kind of had an idea that this was going to be the soundtrack for his demise? Is that, yeah. was, was that in your mind as you were hearing it? Yeah. I, oh, wow, I, you see, I kind of thought possibly he was going to end, I, I mean, with, with hindsight, ridiculously, but I thought it was going to be in a situation where he was going to die in the, on the battlefield, whatever, but, you know, out in the field with Madeline holding his hand or whatever and, Possibly a little bit like, you know, spoiler alert, Tony Stark in uh, The Avengers. Oh, God, I hope I haven't just spoiled that for anyone. That was a couple of years ago now. And actually, thinking about it, this music would could be lifted and put straight into that funeral scene for Tony Stark, and it would work pretty much the same in there, actually. Yeah, it's appropriately uh, funereal, that's for sure. Yeah. So, with the, you know, because the obviously the, the template for this is time. They wanted their time from inception. And again, you know, with seven and a half minutes, it's very hard to sustain interest for that long. And for me, once again, they, you know, time is very simple. It's just building up and up. And here they just build up, build down. It doesn't have that arch. So I think it, if they would have made for more sound musical construction it could have more impact for me like at least as a composition even though i can't tolerate the film with it but it just doesn't go there i it goes through my head so it, it's not going to be the time 
of the future because obviously that's what they, they want something like time a, a piece of, of film music that transcends the movie and that's I don't think Final Fantasy is that definitely not oh I mean no it's it's it, it perfectly serviceable it is perfectly serviceable within the film does what it wants it, it's one of those pieces it's a bit like the thomas newman, newman approach where it services exactly what's on the screen but you don't come out singing this you know theme like you will you will you could sing we have all the time in the world or something like that this is just a, um, an effect isn't it or it will be a very powerful emotional one it is just an effect it's just dee da 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 you know it's a series of of notes um in a in a, written in a way to build up that emotional tension but it's not it's not going to stand on its own as a as a theme i can't imagine seeing this being performed you know in a concert but they could have gone for it if I think if they had gone for a more of a musical arch without yeah. now is the time they are going to say the dialogue we have to tone back kind of thing. So I can kind of piece together where the dialogue comes in because you can hear it in the music. So, and, you know, I just want to put in my final kicks into the movie and, you know, you can edit it out if you don't want it. But uh, as the cynic, but, you know, because Casinoria started with ripping off you know, Batman Begins as the reboot. How do we get the stench of Dying of the Day? And, you know, of course, reboot, like Batman. And, you know, just as Jason said, this is their goal, the full Avengers Endgame stuff. You know, let's give the main hero a daughter. Let's make them, you know, separate. Let's give a big destiny because that's what make you know, that's the emotional high point of Avengers. Let's, let's do that for Bond. Daniel Craig wants his big death scene. He wants to be sure he's not going to come back yeah. in any shape or form. And for me, is that the film set up so much more perfect tragedy and they fucked it up. You know Pushing Daisies? No. That's a, that's a serious. And, you know, it, basically it's about a guy who can... Effectively, he can resurrect the death through magical powers. However, they can only live for one minute, and then he has to kill them again. However, one day he meets his, you know, love uh, girl he used to love. He resurrects her and then doesn't turn her back. The only thing is they can never touch each other because that's part of the story that if you touch her a second time, she will go back dead. And, you know, with this whole nanovirus thing or whatever they have in, there was such a perfect thing that, you know, all of them survived. But because of the various program viruses, they can never touch each other. Why didn't they go right. for that? Well, they did. That's what. But the thing is that the, what happened with the virus was that if he got off the island, the way that M had explained the virus was it was designed to go through the population and find its target. So Bond getting off that island would have been a danger to Madeline and, and Matilda, no matter where he was in the world. That's how they wrote it. I'm not saying that's necessarily. I I think that just the just the knowledge of of not being able to touch them would have been so much better than the death. Hmm. For me, well, it's kind I mean, of both. You, yeah. you you know, it's a magical virus. You can you can you you know you can just make it a bit easier that way. Hmm. So to to make it more tragic, you know, you make up the rules of this made up virus. So especially in in this world when you know everyone's afraid of COVID, having a you know a more kind of virus would be nice to have as a body so so for, for me uh, if i were to start with this premise that's i would have gone full pushing this to give it 
give it more tragedy because dying is something actor, you know, it's like it's an emotional moment, but it's actors like, you know, Robert Downey Jr. just doesn't want to do Tony Stark that much anymore. So, you know, let's give him the big emotional farewell. Everybody, you know, every original Avengers team goes bye bye. And and for me, this is like even then they they had to go back and take a blockbuster, the currently the biggest, you know, motion picture hit, and we have to copy the beats from that. And you know, I know Bond has been doing this all the time. It just never bothered me so much up until this point. I suppose, but you could also say that it was a decision that he made that was truly from the depths of his sort of soul from an emotional level that most of the other characters, they hinted at it, but they were never able to follow through with a decision based on something like that because you knew that the whole thing would be just restarted for the next film with a different collection of you know, female pulchritude or whatever. And so this was the first time they were actually able to say, no, we're actually going to do this. The thing that you think is impossible to do in the series, we're actually going to do it like two dozen as soon films as, in, you know? as soon as you look at the running time, you know that's going to happen. What? Because it's long, you mean? You don't need that kind of movie for an average Jason. This has to be special. Oh, so well, I guess. I mean, I mean, I'm still, I did see Highlander too. Like it isn't. You can't even say it's one hundred percent sure he's. I think it's like ninety nine point nine six percent sure that he's, you know, dead. But oh, come on, hundred percent, hundred percent. You actually want no, like to get blown up? No, I'm saying Highlander too. That's what I'm saying. Like somebody can be a hundred percent gone, and then they can just you can find ways to bring people back. You can always do it. So I'm. That's why I'm. You know, in the filmic world, nothing is absolutely impossible. But no, it is. It is pretty much impossible. Well, we are well and truly off the beaten track again, my friends. Into well and truly into a James Bond podcast and not a music podcast. So let's, if we can, wrap up with final thoughts on the score then, because. In a way, I feel like even I'm I'm the champion of it, and even I, at times I feel like I've um, I've beaten down a bit on the on the score um, through and the soundtrack, I should say, through this review. But I, you know, I might change my opinion over time. But at the moment, as it stands, I really do think it's a good score with some real standout highlights, uh, particularly for me. The, the the second half I find and people talk more about the first half but I like the second half more Norway Chase Poison Garden The Factory uh, Opening Doors Final Ascent you know they're they're kind of my favourite tracks on the on the album and there is some good stuff in there I I do worry that over time it's not you know I'm going to find it I find but I, it's not going to be one I'm going to go go to first in my collection I'll still be sticking more to the Arnold and Barry uh, soundtracks I think. Jason, what do you think? What's your final kind of summing up? Um, I think it's a good example of kind of 2021 scoring. I think it is uh, it is good and it supports the film and it's well done. It succeeds in that case. Gergay, perhaps I shouldn't finish with you because we'll be on a right downer. <laughs> I, I, I will give you, a, uh, we give you a great closing line to ponder. But first, so uh, for me... Uh, this is kind of what I expected. I agree with you that uh, the second half for me is my, I much prefer the action stuff than the emotional stuff, which is, of course, I don't feel any emotion about it at all. Uh, I do think that I, if I had access to the full score, uh, I would have put together a different album here. Like, like I'm, there's better stuff left on than what's here. 
And, uh, you know, especially like the little quote of Vesper team for the fans would have been, you know, but, you know, I already made it clear I don't like all the own Her Majesty's Secret Service referencing. It's not uh, good here. Um, I do think that the separate sessions kind of show in the mixing, so it, it doesn't feel as big as it, you know, as the numbers indicate how many players it had. So it shows that it's kind of a patchwork. And I think the biggest question is, you know, will Zimmer and friends, whoever will they be within a few years, will return? Or was this a one-off thing? Well, well when, the next, when the next guy comes along. I think there's a question. Is, because, there's two questions. Is Do we think they will and do we want them to? That's two questions for them. Because I know that once Hans Zimmer gets his foot on the door, he's going to stay as long as he wants, like the proverbial gorilla in the house. Mm, I think you might be right. I... I I I still think there are better people. I still think Giacchino would be a better a better fit for this if they don't want to go back to Arnold, which would be my first choice. I'd like to see Giacchino, but I think you're right. I think they probably will go back to Zimmer now because it's not been it's not been a uh, it's not whilst it's not potentially going to be viewed as a massive success across everybody. It's nowhere near going to be as polarizing and particularly negative as what the Newman reaction has been. Uh, what do you think, Jason? Do you think they'll stick or twist? Oh God, I I wish I had the the foresight to be able to say things like that. I mean, I think I think the series is in more uh, unpredictable uh, in a more unpredictable area than it's been in my Ever. lifetime. You know, yeah. if you, like if you tried to think, what can they do? Are they going to go back to the sixties as a way to, you know, come back from that? Cause usually it's possible to just very subtly move on with another actor with basically the same attitude in the same world. And, uh, this time it's all open. Who knows if they're going to do that? Who knows if, uh, Michael Wilson is going to continue to, you know, will he want to be involved for the next like 15 years or 20 years or, you know, because he's had decades involved in it as well. And, you know, who knows what's going to happen? He'd have a job for 15 or 20 years. I think he's pretty, pretty old now. Bless him. What, what about you, Gage? Do, do you think they'll stick or twist in? I, you know, I think Jason already said one of the key things at the beginning that even though they're going crazy, massive directions, the music is not really following suit. So, I'll, you know, the only thing that would competitive, they really go left is like, I don't know, get an ambient composer, get Max Richter or something to, you know, you know, Max Richter, kids love Max Richter. He's a, or Ludovico, you know, they go with, they go with something. He would be insane. amazing. He would be amazing. Yeah, he would. But you're right. If Jason, if you wanted someone to do something completely different, yeah, Ludwig would be, Goranson would be one, wouldn't But he? I don't think he even does real film, you know, because they always use just his concert music and just cut it up in most of his movies. So yeah. that's most of his scores. But, you know, I think, uh, I think Hans Zimmer or one of his, you know, Steve, Steve Mazzaro seems to have the report with the rhythm section and now with um, No Wait. You know, we, we kept saying Zimmer, 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 but, you know, we have to give credit to Steve Mazzaro yeah. because Zimmer himself that, you know, in a fairer world, you know, his name would be at the bottom and Mazzaro would be at the top. Uh, but, you know, it's it's clear who was the musical master by, mastermind behind this course. So at in the worst case scenario, I think they will just maybe have... But, you know, for Zimmer, this is like the, the passion project. I did a Bond film. I did Dune. I did, you know, whatever, you know, what is he's missing? He hasn't done a Star Wars movie, a Star Trek movie, but that's it. He has done everything by now. So, you know, maybe, maybe that's, but you know, he's doing Dune. That's, you know, the next best thing for sci-fi. 
And so I think he's either going to stick around or, you know, he's going to guide the next boat or something. He, keep in mind that he brings in lots of fans, lots of film music fans. Yeah, he has yeah. a massive fan base. And he can do the hype train like no other film composer can do. And they really need this. You know, they need, you know, John Berrick would give these grumpy interviews and send you to hell if you ask the right, right question, wrong question. Uh, Zimmer could do all the shtick, all the fun, bubbly Sunday morning stuff. He could do the posing with the red carpet. Uh, you know, you pay him for that. You know, half of his paycheck is for doing the show and the other half is for the actual composition process. So I think the next movie will need him more than this one. This could have got, you know, a monkey could have scored them like, oh, last Bond thing. But they, for the next one, they definitely need somebody with his experience and, and the, the, the experience to hype it up to. And, you know, with enough time, he could actually do something like, you yeah. know, bring in one of his crazy ideas that is, a, you know, like, I'm just going to score the scene with only the Bond thing, but rearrange it in a fantastic new way. He didn't have time for that here. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, yeah. we did get Vamp on Vamp. So, you know, who knows what's in his story. But next time you're going to do Vamp on Vamp on Vamp. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you you could just do it with you know he you know when he said you know I'm going to jo- do a one note theme for Joker like maybe he will do a new bonds I don't know he you know he's at the position both are, you know are, you know he's a new commented bond series but if somebody could would be allowed to touch any element it would be him I think even even Arnold would be like you know there are some holy cows he cannot touch and he doesn't want to touch and and Zimmer doesn't have this. Not I I won't say respect, you know, he doesn't have inhibitions about this, you know. If he thinks something is a good idea and if he thinks it works, he can convince the producers and give us something, you know, totally crazy, totally you know, and maybe that would be a bit more fitting for the revolution nature of these new movies, which I which I again I not, don't agree with at all. But maybe that's a bit more uh, on the on the level of what, what we could expect than than this. I again I got much more out of this than Bond and Humans, much more. Yeah, and me too. It is what I, you know. So I, you know, I do definitely want to make it a positive note, you know, because I can grumble, I can rumble. Uh, I do find a lot more to like in this one, and I know for workout music, this is this is really cool stuff. So you know, you may have noticed I lost some weight, <laughs> and that's partially with this album of all the lifting weight. So it's great. Not, not the best film score, but the kind of okay workout music. <laughs> Cool. <laughs> on that note let's leave everyone to the, to go and listen to this soundtrack whilst they work out thanks ever so much for listening everyone and thanks Jason Gergay it's been great fun tonight and um, hope you enjoyed this little review bye for now bye, bye.